joining us. Hi, Ferret. Hi, Flame. Hi, fandom. Welcome back to Pot on the Suit after our hiatus and to episode 18, where we'll concentrate on thankfulness. Huge thank you to this episode's cover artist, Atla Tiger, whose piece might introduce you to a new art form, quilling. First up on this episode, Flame has an interview with Axe of Tekla, who is a volunteer at one of the things we are all thankful for, the Organization for Transformative Works. And then Farrah and I are going to get a little philosophical and chat about the nature of being grateful and thankful versus appreciating something and how that all ties into fandom. A lot of our thoughts have been spurred on by some incredible thoughts from y'all in the server and on Tumblr and in fandom feelings, so thank you in advance. After we finish our ramblings, we'll hear directly from you guys on both the fan works you're thankful for and the fandom creators and just fandom in general. Keep your ears peeled for a special guest later who brings your messages to life. We'll give you a quick life of an event update as well, and we've got our events forecast. We've got our construction paper turkey hats on, so let's get started. Podcast Landia, welcome to today's interview, and we are kicking off our thankfulness episode with a volunteer from OTW, because I think we can all agree that the thing we are the most thankful for is archive of our own. And so we today are very, very blessed to have Axe of Tecla with us, who is one of the volunteers specifically on the committee that deals a lot with archiving, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But we are so excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. And we are we who work at the archive are also very thankful for it. Well, that's exciting. We uh, we are big stands around here. So glad to know that those of you guys who spend all of your time doing it are as well. And please, on behalf of all of us, let me thank you and your colleagues um, for I'm sure the hours and hours and probably decades of your life that you feel like you have given to this. So thank you so much. Um, I would love to know how you got into fandom and what fandoms you are active in now, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off that way. Absolutely. So I was always a pretty nerdy kid, and but I got into fandom like many people my age through Harry Potter. I It was the year 1999. <laughs> and... <laughs> This was back when Google was like the new kind of weird kid on the block of search engines. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, we were all kind of scared of it. We still use like Netscape and stuff. Yeah. Oh my God, Netscape. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> so I was using Yahoo, which if you remember, it had, you didn't only have the option to search, you could also browse categories. So... I would go in and, you know, literature, children's literature, Harry Potter. And among the list of sub, sub, sub categories, there's fan sites, and then there was fan fiction. So I clicked on that, and the rest is history. I've been a reader and a writer, not so much a poster, but still, ever since. And is Harry Potter still like your primary fandom? Is that kind of how you are still active or are you in other things now? I would describe myself as a serial fandom monogamist. I Fair. I still occasionally go back to Harry Potter, but 
most of the time I have a thing that I'm really into for like anywhere between a couple of weeks and a few months. There are a few things that I keep going back to. So the, the Star Wars prequel trilogy, Tolkien, Yu-Gi-Oh! Over the Garden Wall, I always get into it towards uh, October, November. It just, it's so seasonally appropriate. Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender just finished a rewatch with friends, so. Oh, nice. My co-host, Ferret, loves Avatar. So that's, I've not en encountered it yet, but it's on my list. It's, it's very good. <laughs> I will not squee further. <laughs> okay, I'll come back with to some spare you the gushing. <laughs> I love the idea of serial monogamy, by the way. We have a one of the past, a friend of the pod, Ashes0909 is her username, and she's also a serial fandom monogamist and kind of gets really into things. And it's not kind of how I experience fandom, but I love hearing from you guys. I think I'm too ADD with it. I keep dipping in and out of other things. So I love hearing from folks that are like, no, I want to wholeheartedly love something for about 10 days. And then mm -hmm. I would like to wholeheartedly love something else for 10 days. It, it seems like you guys get to experience a wider breadth of fandom than I do. Whereas I just like now know Tony Stark's shoe size, you know, like it's this like really kind of intense deep dive and it's a totally different way to experience fandom. And I love the breadth that us nerds have to uh, love something so deeply. Indeed. Um, I cannot agree more. Yeah. So what kind of talk me through how you went from writer and consumer to, you know, being on staff of one of the guardians of fandom freedom, I guess. Like, <laughs> can you talk me through that process? So I was actually on LJ and I was around for strike through slash bold through and the fan lib thing. And I didn't get involved in the organization for transformative works or the creation of the archive right away because I was in college and then I was in grad school and then some other stuff was going on, but I was a fairly early member of the AO3 or I had a login fairly early on in the beta and I just, it was so much better than fanfiction.net or than trying to find, uh, trying to find things on LJ that I moved almost completely and never looked back. You know, every so often I go back and try to remember the series of links to get to that one series on LJ that hasn't moved, but it's really good or something like that. But, or, or you know, there's a, a pairing or a fandom that's very small. And so one braves fanfiction.net to see if there's anything else there that's worth reading. Uh, I have found a couple of my favorite fics that way, so. Well, that's encouraging to anyone listening who still posts there. I know we make fun of it a lot um, for ill or for better. So I'm glad to hear that there's still some good stuff happening there. There is, I know uh, several writers on AO3 still cross post to fanfiction.net and they do have different different readership. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. The, the, the experience that we talk about in Marvel fandom the most is a difference in tagging. Um, yes. And so I'm sure if you're somebody who doesn't maybe as value the tagging system as much, we talk about it a lot in, in the fandom spaces I'm in as like a safety measure, almost like an emotional mm -hmm. safety mechanism. If that's not as much of a value to you, I can see why fanfiction.net still works for you. 
in a lot of ways, but if the tagging is really important, I would imagine, at least for me, that's one of the reasons I don't go back to FFN because I don't love surprises as much. I kind of like knowing what I'm getting into. So that's just kind of my preference, but I can see if it's not a value to you, it wouldn't be yours. Well, I think they also have an app and I believe the app has a built-in uh, reader, screen reader. Oh, that's different than, yeah. And I don't want AO3 to ever have an app so you guys don't have to censor anything. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but, that make, but they do censor quite a lot. So that makes sense that they can have an app. Yeah, uh, so, right. So we're talking about how I got involved in volunteering. So I'd been a user of AO3 for many years and in October, November of 2013, there was a call that went out for volunteers for the Open Doors Committee, which, you know, do you want to rescue archives and rediscover old fic? And I kind of thought, and help save fandom history. And I thought, yeah, I want to do that. And I don't have a whole lot on my plate at the moment. So I applied. I, I didn't get in in that initial run, but a few months later, in preparation for importing the Yuletide archives, they needed a few more people, so I was invited to join then. I believe it was April of 2014, and I've been a volunteer ever since. At this point, I actually double-checked with our chair. I am the second longest uh, serving member of the Open Doors Committee. Specifically, one of our co-chairs was one of the people who brought me on and the other came in and with the next round of recruiting. Okay. And so that's amazing. So clearly you have seen a lot and seen a lot. I'm mm -hmm. sure even um, some really evolutions in fandom. If we think about fandom technology from 2014 to now and um, obviously the Tumblr purge, which we've talked about on this pod a lot, and some of the movements of fan art. I'm sure you've seen a lot, but <clears throat> I want to go back really quick to something you mentioned, because I don't think I know what that is. What were the Yuletide archives? Oh, so Yuletide is an annual fanworks exchange. It was initially organized by Astolot and I'm afraid I can't remember the other couple of folks off the top of my head, but Astolat was also, of course, one of the OTW yes. founders and also wrote the automated archive software, which was a predecessor to the AO3 software. So Yuletide is a fanworks exchange and it's specifically for small fandoms and small fandoms are defined by number of works between AO3 and fanfiction.net. And it's a way to encourage some really unusual fandoms to get, get some works. Some of the fandoms that started or are pretty much exclusively on Yuletide include the, the Folgers incest commercial. <laughs> oh my God, I love that there's a fandom for that. Oh my God. Yes, well, I know exactly what you're talking about. We will link it in the show notes. Yep, yep. Yes, so I think it just came out at the right time that someone proposed it as Yuletide fandom and someone accepted it. And there is fic for it. And it is delightful. That makes me so happy. Oh, we will link to all of that, listeners. Don't worry. There is also 
you may have heard of this, uh, Ian Nasir. I haven't, but that doesn't mean somebody listening has it. Okay, so Ian Nasir was a Mesopotamian merchant, and sure. he kept all of his correspondence, including complaint letters, which were later dug up by archaeologists. And people just love the idea that this guy kept all of these letters complaining about how he had sent inferior copper ingots <laughs> and forced his customer's servant to travel across enemy territory for them, which is just adding insult to injury, I mean. <laughs> oh, humans have been salty and petty since the jump. That makes me so happy. <laughs> and he kept them. He kept these letters. This is why we have them. We dug up his house. We dug up his files. And these cuneiform tablets were there. Oh, my God. Okay, I am thankful for humanity right now. I'm laughing so hard I'm crying, listeners. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> no, I hadn't heard of it, but now I need to find the Yuletide fandom for it because that sounds delightful. Yes. Uh, so, you see, Yuletide is... It's been going on for well over a decade, and it used to be on its own site. Then when AO3 became able to handle challenges and exchanges, mm -hmm. they moved to AO3 and had been promising for a real long time that the, all of the works and the comments on the Yuletide site would be moved to AO3. It finally happened in 2014, and because there were years and years of works on this, of course, we needed a lot of people to handle it because we didn't want to just mass import everything because people, a lot of people had already put their Yule, their old Yuletide works on AO3 and then there would have been duplicates. And because we were actually importing the comments this time, which almost never happens. It's, it just increases the difficulty multifold. The only reason it could happen this time is that Astala was writing the code herself and had written the code for the Yuletide site and for AO3. So she knew how to plug them into each other in a way that really no one else could have. In order to avoid duplicates and get the comments that were being imported added to the correct works. We invited people to let us know what the old URL was and the URL of their new works so that we could make sure that they were linked in the code. And obviously with such a huge archive, we need a, they needed a few extra people to handle all of these tickets. So that was why I brought it. And I, stayed ever since. That was at the time. I, it, I believe at the time it was our largest import. Yeah, so Yuletide was about 7,500 works. Yeah, it looks like HP Fandom with about 8,500 works is the largest import we have ever had so far. That was a couple, few years later. Yeah, that's a lot. So obviously digital archives are one thing to kind of for you guys to import. And I think um, 
you know, folks who aren't familiar with with tech, like just trust that that's a lot of work. When when Tecla said tickets, that's kind of how a lot of that's how projects are referred to in IT. So there's a lot of there's a lot of that kind of technical stuff. What about some of the more like you talk about the physical fan site, the fan stuff like fanzines from the 60s and 70s? How do you guys kind of um, go about archiving those and protecting and saving those that are not digital already? So we have actually partnered with a real world library. The Fan Culture Preservation Project, which protect, preserves physical media, is a joint venture between the OTW and the Special Collections Department at the University of Iowa. Amazing. Uh, that specifically preserves fanzines and other non-digital forms of fan culture. So for example, con booklets, posters, um, fan art, just anything physical. It is mostly zines, but pretty much anything physical and I'm going to go with made with, uh, made with paper. Okay. Okay. So, Emil, we have some, for instance, we're in the Marvel fandom, we're running, we just finished running, um, as we're recording this, it's starting, but as you guys are listening to this, it's over, far over, Marvel Trumps Hate, in which a lot of people make fan work themed crafts. So they make like mugs with Tony painted on it and things like that. Would those kind of things be wanted in an archive as well? Like what kind of things in a physical archive are important for fandom history? That is a really good question. I don't think we've had anyone so far offering to donate crafts. That would really depend on the University of Iowa's um, ability to, to store and archive them. So I would have to ask about that. Yeah, I'm just curious, because I think, I mean, like, obviously, pottery is a really big deal to archaeologists. So, <laughs> but when does it become a big deal in the timeline of things, I guess? Um, but particularly, like, interestingly for us at Marvel Trump's Hate, which is a massive uh, Marvel-wide fandom auction, for your knowledge, that where people offer fan works and then people donate money to charity in, in kind of um, response to that. And the craft auctions have uh, increased this year in terms of everybody being inside. Um, and people have, in, have kind of engaged with their hobby, their fandom hobby and their craft life, like some really pretty embroidery, things like that, that people had never molded before. They were given this chance to be inside and for so long, <laughs> this chance. Um, and we kind of, and we kind of hyper-focus them. So if I think as an academic, I'm like, well, 2020, I'd want some fandom crafts and kind of see that evolution because Marvel can't be the only ones doing that. But from a, I'm not an archivist. I'm a, current academic. I, stu I study contemporary culture. So I was just curious if there was like a line somewhere that there was a derivation of um, in terms of what becomes archivable and what is just current uh, trends, I guess. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. As I said, I would, I'm sure it depends a lot on the project in question. Of course. Because is that some places, when it comes to crafts, you're then talking about 
more physical storage space and probably potentially different preservation conditions from, from things that are on paper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, um, my offline best friend who listeners will know as soulmate is, uh, does a lot with uh, handicrafts made by political prisoners. Um, professionally and and the process of things that were made out of out of like leather or fabric versus things that were made out of paper and i've learned a bit about that archiving stuff but certainly not i'm not a archivist i don't have that mm -hmm. kind of brain so so that's really fascinating so then you as an open doors person um do you interact with that fandom that uh with the university of iowa or would that be somebody else on your team like I guess I'm asking if somebody listening has a box of fanzines, like, and they don't really know what to do with them or if they would be useful, do they, how do they get in contact with you guys to help facilitate that with the University of Iowa or do they go straight to the University of Iowa? Like, how do you guys work with that? So the best way to get in touch with us is to use the form on our website. We'll make sure that goes in the show notes. Yeah, so just in the subject, say something like, I have fanzines. I want to donate or you can specifically call out the fan culture preservation project or the fcpp there is one member of the open doors committee mrs potato head or mph who handles all of the special collections and the fcpp so uh we would just ping her on that email and she'd move ahead getting in touch with iowa and ensuring that people get, you know, have the right address to send it to and can get reimbursed for postage. Okay. If that's, um, if that's something that they need or want. And, and obviously, even though this is hosted at an American university, you guys are looking at international fandom, I would imagine knowing just knowing archivists, you're not just looking at American based fandom. Is that correct? Absolutely. I mean, we, we usually get things from the US and Canada, just because the the OTW, we're still reaching reaching out. We are very interested in being a place for anyone who wants to be there, but it doesn't mean that everyone wants to be here or that they necessarily think of the OTW or Open Doors as a place that would be relevant to them. Are you talking about like other cultures? Like it's not, it's still, is it still a pretty English speaking, um, like centric, like uh, organization at this point? Is that what you're trying to say? Well, I mean, there are a few things. I mean, for one thing, frankly, po international postage is oh, really expensive. In the ass. Yeah, it's, it's so, yeah. so if someone were you know, not in the US, they might not even think, gee, I should mail this to, of course, an American university and not look into it at all. Although, as I said, we are happy to reimburse for postage. So the working language of the OTW is English. Currently, the first language that everything is available in and the only language that absolutely everything is available in, in terms of our website and such is English. We are working hard, or I should specify the translation committee correct is, yes yeah is working really hard to get our faqs and our uh, other documentation and our website translated into all the different languages but it no it's it a lot takes time. As, we, 
as we record this, you guys just put out a call for translators. And I know on various Discord servers that I'm on, several of the Marvel fandom folks from those countries and those language bases volunteered and applied. And I know they're really hoping to be helpful. Um, oh, that's wonderful. And a thing I should specify, the when the call is put out for translation volunteers, they do list teams that are specifically looking for new volunteers or more volunteers, but if you speak a different language or and want to ask about that team, or if you speak a language that we don't have a team for yet, like new teams get started because someone is interested in starting them. Yeah. So I think it's important for all of us to remember too, as you bring this up, OTW is a volunteer organization. It's a nonprofit. Um, and the, the laws of your nonprofit are pretty much that nobody draws a salary. <laughs> like you guys put a lot of your, you put all of your costs back into server running and, and, and a lot of the tech costs. And for anyone listening, please remember that the OTW is incredibly transparent with their budget and, you know, you can always look at it yourself. Um, but I think those of us on the outside of an organization as big and as slick looking and professionally <laughs> behaving as OTW, forget that fundamentally it's a volunteer situation, which means that if you have a skill that can be used and it, it's a hole not being filled, one of somebody on uh, you being the listeners, somebody on you being OTW probably wants to hear about that. And it's not, if there's a language being excluded, it's not out of prejudice, it's out of availability. And so how, so bridging those gaps is is an important part to make this a whole fandom experience but we all have our own limitations as both human beings and, and organizations um i know we here at, at pod on the suit talk a lot about how do we get it to be more accessible to more people so like we're doing more transcripts because transcripts are easier to translate than audio um and we're trying to do a lot of that kind of thing but it's a it's difficult um, and arduous and so anybody that can think in both languages and write and communicate in multiple languages is a true gift first of all you're genius as far as i'm concerned um but remember that if something isn't available it isn't because somebody hates your culture necessarily um which is sometimes the language i see on tumblr where everybody is angry all the time it's probably just that somebody else hasn't said yes yet so you know, think think about it that way um, as we're all thinking about how we can contribute to the per perpetuity of fandom. Yes, it's, there are so many times that we have run into a bottleneck because there's only one person who can do the thing and they're getting married this month or something like that. As we grow, we are really working hard to build in redundancies and yeah. make that kind of thing not happen. But for example, when I was helping import TurkFanFiction.net, the archivist wound up doing most of the translations uh, for their announcement posts and such themselves because Team Turkish only had one translator at the time and translations rules were that you had to have a second person to double check things right yeah so it's all human it's all human stuff like we see it in every fandom event i've ever been a part of or run in not only in marvel but in other fandoms but then also just volunteers like i sit on a lot of boards of nonprofits. And there's always people that are like, why don't you do this? As though we've never thought of it before. And you're like, no, I thought of that. I just, there's actually only 24 hours in a day. And most of us only have 
like lim like most of us have other jobs. <laughs> like this isn't a this isn't a uh, we're trying to be mean here, folks. This is a we can all only do so much. So it's a it's always a balance. It's always a balance. So speaking of like the Turk archive and kind of things like that, I mean obviously there's a lot of things like that going on behind the scenes that we don't necessarily know about. Um, and not that you have to tell us, but as we're mm -hmm. kind of sitting here in our little in our little uh, Marvel space, I guess, how can we be helpful to your committee? Besides, if we've got fanzines sitting in a basement, you know, is there outreach we can be doing? Are there just things you would like us to be aware of? You know, if we post stuff on Tumblr, would you like us to also post it on AO3 so you guys have it fully archived? Like, what kind of what kind of fan behavior would be helpful to you to you guys? Well, one thing that I do want to make clear about the Open Doors Committee is that we're not going out and finding archives to rescue, partly because of personnel limitations, but, but more significantly because the Open Doors Committee is part of the organization for transformative works. And that means that the, the values and the priorities of the OTW dictate what Open Doors can do and how we do things, which means essentially that where other preservation projects like the Yahoo Group's Fandom Rescue Project put preservation first and when yahoo groups was going down they were just trying to save absolutely everything that they possibly could partly because of speed but also because you know that really was intended to be an archive a repository of large amounts of information that could be studied on mass whereas the OTW and Open Doors put a priority on creators having control over their works. And so we feel that when a moderator contacts us, a moderator or an archive owner contacts us to move their, to import their archive to the AO3, that's very similar to if they were switching servers or changing the URL they have been given the responsibility for keeping these works online and moving them to AO3 is a way to do that. But we have an outreach period. We try to email people directly if possible. We really make a lot of efforts to ensure that if people don't want their works imported, they can contact us and tell us so and that when the works are imported creators can very easily get control over their works and delete them or uh, orphan them move them to their own uh, their regular accounts move them to a secondary account uh, so that they can do whatever it is they want to do with their works because they are theirs so back to my original Point. What this means is that open doors cannot rescue archives if we are not alerted to the fact that that archive needs help and more particularly if the moderator or owner is not 
interested in working with us or isn't interested in giving permission for someone else to work with us on their behalf. That's an incredibly important point that I'm really glad that you spent the time um, unpacking about the idea of consent and also just the focus that while the archiving is very, very important, the, the primary entity of OTW is the protection of creators and our control over our own works. And just as a reminder to everybody listening, you know, Fair and I have talked extensively in other episodes about where that came from and why that value is so sacrosanct to OTW. Um, and they've also been open about that too. So feel free to dive on into their, their, uh, their website and swim around and find out what they've said. But when we think about cultures, which we talk about a lot on this pod, uh, about you know cultures of Discord servers, cultures of fandom, cultures of ships, cultures of everything, a huge part of the culture of OTW is always gonna be to protect us as creators. And so that, that is a different thing, which is why they're not, you guys just heard Tekla say, they're not going to go out and start hunting around Tumblr for like dying hashtags. Like that's not, that's not their gig. That's not what they're looking for. Um, they're, they're much more interested in making sure that people have their own control. So part of a dying archive means that, as we've talked about in the past, creators lose control of their works. So in doing that, in doing that work, you know, what we just heard Tekla say was that it's, it's just as much about making sure that creators have perpetual control as it is about making sure that, in, that people can read it forever. Um, which I know is difficult for some people whenever an AO3 user, especially a big name fan, decides to delete their account and all their works. Um, and, that is, and that is, you know, heartbreaking and all those kind of other emotions that fly around Discord servers and Tumblr and Twitter whenever that kind of thing happens. But it is incredibly important to remember you know, please keep this interview in mind whenever that kind of thing happens. The number one priority is always the creator's control of work. And we want to protect that. And we want, as fans, we want that to stay in place. So as grievous as it is when, it, when something disappears, it's not worth sacrificing the consent of creators for um, automatic archiving, I guess. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So kind of, kind of uh, hold those two things in tension. But yeah, man, we've had a lot of deletions recently in Marvel fandom and people are really upset about it. I don't know if that's happening in other fandoms, but, but we've been struggling with it a little. Oh, that's really sad. Uh, I do want to, in that case, let people know that there is on AO3 an option called orphaning. And what this means is that essentially you transfer your work to an orphan account, which is just a general account. It comes under orphan account. You can either take your name off of it or not. Uh, so it can be orphaned and anonymized or just orphaned. Some people choose to do this if they're leaving fandom and don't want to kind of have that dangling AO3 account that someone could, for example, hack or just get into later, or they just, for internet security reasons, don't want to have an account that they're not using, which is good internet security. So you could then orphan all of your works, but keep your fandom name on them. If there are works that you don't, you're staying in fandom, you know that people love this work, you don't necessarily want it on your account with your name attached anymore. Yeah. You can orphan and anonymize. 
The one thing to be very, very clear on though is that any changes, any, oh shoot, I mentioned some personal information in the author's notes of that one chapter, any of that, you have to do that before the works are orphaned because once they are orphaned, it is almost impossible to get them back because all of the creator information has been stripped from, from them. And so support can't, it is very difficult for the support team to confirm that those works are in fact yours. Mm, fair. And if, if they can't confirm that, then they can't give them to you because yeah, they can't do anything because you could just be a total jerk and um, trying to mess with someone else's fix. So that's all exactly important. important. Yeah. So that's, you know, something we kind of remind people of all the time. Um, but I think it's, it's interesting in fandoms that are in transition, which I think Marvel definitely is. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if that, if that happens a lot. Um, but back to kind of like, now that we've kind of covered creator protection and everything else as, as fans, is there anything you'd like us to know or any kind of fan behavior you'd like us to have to, um, you know, make the work of the open doors committee easier, anything we should, is just being aware of you enough. Is that what you ask of us? Cause we're happy to do that. Yes, the the Open Doors Committee is one of the smaller projects, and I think that what we do is really cool. We have so many small and old archives that are really important parts of fandom history that have been rescued, and I think people should check them out for a perfect time capsule of slash writing in right around 2000. There's an old archive called the Chains Archive that was imported, I want to say around 2015. It was one of the earlier ones that I was involved in. And what was really special about it was that it allowed slash and it allowed BDSM and all that kind of thing at a time period where a lot of fan archives didn't because they were really worried about adult content and about getting in trouble for hosting it. This of course being the days before we owned the goddamn servers. Yes, owning the goddamn servers is pretty much the battle cry. That's what we've got to do these days, so yeah. Yes, and it just makes me really happy that it's, still here, that it hasn't just vanished from the internet. Um, a bunch of things, we, the Sentinel, I wanna say the Sentinel archive was a fairly early import, again, because Astolot was involved with it and it was on automated archives. So that was one of our earlier imports. And you, Flame, will be very excited, I'm sure, to know that we are importing several West Wing archives. Slash, slash, it would be wonderful to get control of some of my stuff back if it's on there. <laughs> well, around. do you remember West Wing Fan Fiction Central? Oh, do I? Yes, there's definitely some of my stuff on there. Oh, that's exciting. I'm actually very, fairly proud of some of that stuff, so... There was a Josh Donna archive that died a death and I hope it did forever because there was a lot of crap on it. <laughs> but that's exciting. There was a lot of really good fic on there. 
And one of the really cool things is that West Wing Fan Fiction Central had itself rescued the West Wing Fan Fiction Archive. Yes, I remember that. That's amazing. Yeah. And the Big Block of Cheese, which was a Slash archive. They did. Oh, that's so exciting. I didn't write Slash at the time, so I didn't really pay attention to that one. But oh, man, that's so exciting. It's a really important thing because that fandom was pretty harsh to Slash pick. So, um, I, I, which is <laughs> interesting for a whole host of reasons we can talk about at another time. But I'm really <laughs> excited that you guys have done that. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, and I mean, I myself have discovered new fandoms through this. I, it, it seems like nobody cares about Blake Seven anymore, but I- I know what that is, God love you. I'm glad you enjoy it. It's an old British sci-fi TV show that basically looked at a new Ho Star Wars, A New Hope, and Star Trek, and said, but what if cynical? <laughs> oh, so you just mean like every British show from the 80s. Got it, no problem. <laughs> it was in fact from the 80s, now that yeah. you mention it. And Mr. so it's- Mr. Flame is a massive Red Dwarf fan, which is pretty much like that kind of conversation. Like, what if we took this, but made it a bunch of assholes? So yeah, I- <laughs> Yeah, it's more like, what if the, you know, multi-planet hegemonic government was not benevolent? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that's exciting. So, like, Futurama came from this place, essentially. So, this, uh, like, I mean, maybe not directly, but if we talk about, like, cultural heritage. Um, oh, that's exciting. Okay, I'll, have to, I'll see if Mr. Flame ever watched Blake 7. He grew up in the UK in the 70s and 80s. So uh, I'll have to, I will have to ask him if he ever watched that. But you found that because of your archive gig. Yes, because there were a couple of small archives that we were importing and my, my real life job was very light at the time. So because they were so small, I basically just imported them all myself, even though it was a what we call a fully manual import, which is when, um, so there are varying degrees of automation that we can apply to imports. And we do try to focus them on the larger archives. But if an archive is no longer online and it's small and uh, it would, be kind of more trouble than it was than it's worth to write the code to put it into the format that could then be plugged into the AO3 importer back end and imported that way we do a fully manual import which is basically the same thing as when you are adding your own fix to AO3 do you have to come up with the tags too? Cause that's most of, that's, that's tags, summaries and titles are what stress us all out the most. We actually have a process for working with the moderators um, based on the structure and whatever tags were, or tagging like elements were available in the original archives to create a list of tags and their AO3 equivalents. Oh. We do not necessarily require the works to be tagged with like the AO3 canonicals. It's also to help the tag wranglers send those tags so that they show up in the right, yeah. uh, with the right tag sets later. But yeah, we, we work with the mods to determine the tags for each work. 
That's amazing. That's um, the tag wranglers are some of my heroes. I mean, all of you guys are my heroes, but like tag <laughs> wranglers, man, tag wranglers and the abuse committee. Like, I just constantly want to send them flowers. Like, yep. you guys are doing the Lord's work. Thank you so much. I actually, most of the time when I have to forward something to support or to pack, they're, they're the policy and abuse committee. Policy and abuse now, committee. Got it. Okay, pack. Got it. I, I do include like a picture of flowers or puppies or my inordinately fluffy cat. Oh God, fluffy cat pictures are life. So <laughs> I'm with you. Well, she is very fluffy. So. Oh, nice. One of our, um, one of the mods of our server has a cat who's like right now going through getting her winter coat. So she's got her summer coat and her winter coat. She's just a walking fluff ball. So it's really, really precious. <laughs> so anyway, so I was importing like 150, I think, fix on my own at, at work. <laughs> Listen, we've all done it. I own a company and I write fic at work. There is no shame. So you're fine. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just, you know, in the process of reading all of these summaries and kind of skimming yeah. the, the page to make sure there were no egregious typographical errors that I should delete before posting, I went like, wow, this, this show sounds really cool. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it has a really great fandom, actually, kind of one of those things where the the only people who are still there and the only works that have been preserved are the really good ones. Yes. Yeah. You've gotten rid of a lot of, you've separated the wheat from the chaff, as it were. So yeah, I feel that. So then I went and found them on YouTube and amazing watched them with my roommate cracking up every other scene because it was a bbc sci-fi show from the 80s their budget was you know pocket change yeah, their budget was about four pounds and, and they filmed it in the middle of cardiff yep got it yep <laughs> oh and especially for this one so completely reasonably they decided to put what budget they had towards their permanent set for the spaceship Awesome. Okay. However, <laughs> they do not get to that set until well into the second episode. Oh, yeah. That's that's so peak BBC. Like that's so peak. I love it. I love because it because they're awesome. doing all this setup, and so there, are, like, there is this very important scene that is very clearly filmed in a parking garage. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I love the creativity of <laughs> humans. That, yes, that is so peak BBC. I love it. Spoiler alert, they still do that. So Yeah, and, and like the camera, you know, the shots are all clear, but the camera almost never moves because they, they could afford a cinematographer to make sure, you know, to set up the camera so that nothing was blurry, but no fancier than that. Absolutely nope. not. Absolutely no. Absolutely we no. We cannot game. afford no tracking way. shots. We cannot afford to zoom in or zoom out. We can, we can occasionally afford a panning shot. Occasionally. We can remember how far technology <laughs> and budgeting have come. We can make movies on our phones now, folks. <laughs> so make sure to go back to YouTube and watch Blake Seven and uh, get excited. So. That's amazing. Well, this has been utterly fascinating. I don't want to take up too much more of your time because I could keep talking all day, but you, <laughs> I'm sure, have archives to import. So 
before uh, we leave, are there any, maybe it's Blake seven, but are there any fan works uh, or small fandoms, I should say that possibly we haven't heard of that in your work as the, at, at the open doors committee, you've come across that you'd encourage us to check out. Oh boy. So I think one of the coolest things that we've done through Open Doors is actually set up a number of memorial archives for writers who passed away and who fortunately had fandom friends who they left in charge of their works and who could organize their import to the AO3 so that they would be preserved and stay up so that people could keep enjoying them. If you go to the Open Doors page on FanLore, on the index you can see a list of memorial archives set up with the assistance of Open Doors. They include the Danelle Lights archive, the Leah Adesio archive, and the Dana Knight mm. archive. And so in the days before you could assign a fandom next of kin for for yourself. These folks uh, did it for themselves and had friends that they trusted to do this. And I think that's really great and really special. Yeah, it really, that is really special. We talked about fandom next of kin on the server a little while ago, but we haven't said it on the pod. So that's an important feature that you guys have where those of us who don't maybe tell um, offline life people about our fandom life, can make sure that AO3 has the contact details to a fandom friend um, who knows how to um, and can get access to your account and kind of make the fandom wheels keep spinning, as it were, um, if anything tragically happens to uh, you in the offline life. Well, we will, so we will definitely be linking all of this stuff in the show notes that you have mentioned, including the, the memorial archives and, um, you know, finding and the, the link to submit things to open doors and kind of all that other stuff. Um, so I, so everyone listening, if you're listening in your car, don't worry, you don't have to be taking it. You didn't have to take any notes. We've got it all in the show notes for you. Uh, but Acts of Tecla, thank you so much for joining us. This has been utterly fascinating. Um, and uh, like I said, I've got a million more questions, but I will let you go for now. So thanks again, and, uh, and uh, happy, happy coding. Thank you. So because in some places of the world, i.e. in the U.S., it is Thanksgiving coming up uh, shortly after you hear this episode, unless you're hearing it in the future, in which case it was Thanksgiving right about now, uh, we have decided to make this episode about thankfulness. And we have a lot of gratitude for fandom, which we'll talk about as well. But first, we wanted to sort of explore the idea of thankfulness in general, how people relate to the idea of thankfulness versus, say, appreciation and about how thankfulness is expressed in fandom. So as the resident American here at the Pottscast, I wanted to talk a little bit about the celebration of Thanksgiving from an American national holiday perspective, because for me, it has been an evolutionary understanding of the day. And the reason I'm bringing that, this up is because sometimes the more we understand something and the more deeply we can appreciate what goes into something, the actually the more thankful we become for it. So 
I've lived in America my whole life um, for except for the years that I did study abroads or kind of lived on a visa, but I grew up in the Northeast and I, I grew up in a family that was pretty small but really committed to always doing holidays together. So all of my Thanksgiving memories until I lived overseas are with my entire extended family, both sides actually. And it was incredibly important to my entire family that we did the thing where you go around the table and talk about what you're thankful for. Um, actually, when I was in seventh grade, my dad got my brother and I up at like six o'clock in the morning, dragged us into the car and started driving us around some of the more under-resourced areas of Philadelphia and Camden and helping us understand a little bit more of honestly wealth disparity and class warfare <laughs> and kind of making us learn and understand our privilege even at such a young age. And those aren't the words that he used, but it was a, it, that holiday then from that point on became a whole lot about me understanding my place in the world and that I won the lottery in so many ways. And what my response then to the planet was to pay that forward. Now, of course, in elementary school in the United States, and I'm sure, you know, I'm going to assume in Canada too, fair, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Thanksgiving is taught really sanitized. Well, our Thanksgiving is completely different. So, um, so at least in America, we were taught it really sanitized. Everybody was super happy. Uh, the pilgrims desperately needed the, um, oh, so for people who aren't listening, who aren't American that are listening, the narrative of Thanksgiving is that the pilgrims who were religiously persecuted in England came over, escaped the oppression and came over to the new world in the 1600s. And they landed on Plymouth Rock in Massachusetts. And the first winter was terrible. They didn't know how to farm. They didn't know what to do. A lot of people died. And then the following summer, they made friends with local Native Americans who taught them how to do everything and taught them how to live and, and, and exist. And so that harvest, they invited all of the Native Americans to have dinner with them. And that is Thanksgiving. So it became a national day of thanks with, under Abraham Lincoln, who was looking for a reason to unite the country. He declared a national day of thanks, but then it wasn't until I believe Harry Truman that it was the fourth Thursday of every November. I need to double check my West Wing history, but I think it's Harry Truman. So the, the reason we eat the foods that we eat in the traditional kind of American Thanksgiving, stereotypical American Thanksgiving are because those were what we pretend are what people ate in 1642 or whatever when they had this meal. So I grew up thinking that this was all wonderful, um, that Native Americans just kind of gradually died away for any number of reasons, but it wasn't weird that we didn't know any or see any in my daily life. Um, and it certainly wasn't because of random acts of genocide. Um, or anything else. And as I grew older and started asking more questions and being taught more things, I realized that in fact, the spirit behind Thanksgiving is wonderful and I cling to it. And I believe the ultimate value of hospitality is incredibly important. Opening up your table to anyone who needs food is a huge value of my life. But the day itself is a farce. The day itself is, is part of how we kind of create a myth about America. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't teach little kids to make turkey hats because man, they're adorable, but it's a lot of a much, a much more complicated day than I was led to grow up. And I say all of this, not to get on some political soapbox because everything I just said is factually accurate, but um, instead to say that as I understood that the relationships between the United States government and native tribes is incredibly complicated and predatory 
and how, what we truly need to be thankful for in a lot of ways beyond food, clothing, and shelter, which is the stuff a lot of people kind of roll off their tongues. But as I sit and really unpack that and think about that, especially this year, what does it mean to be thankful and how do you have it as a posture? How do you exist every day understanding that in some area of your life, you also won the genetic or postcode lottery in some way. And there is some area of your existence that is better than someone else's. And how do we exist in that and pay that forward and live within that? So I spend a lot of my time thinking about this, A, because I'm a cheese ball uh, and I love kind of thinking about this, but also because I was raised in a family and in a, in a subculture that was incredibly insistent that your life better make the life of someone else better. Um, if I leave this planet without improving the life of anybody else, I have failed in a way. And that's how I was raised. So Thanksgiving was always my favorite holiday, even more than I love Christmas and um, I have a real, a real thing for flag day, but I love, <laughs> I love, love Thanksgiving because to me, the essence of love is food and the essence of love is safety and provision. And for a couple hours, a, a, a year, I could convince myself that it was safe for everybody to be around tables. Of course, I know that it's not. There are families that are not welcoming. There are home situations that are not safe. I think about this, especially this year when we cannot celebrate the day with people outside of our immediate house based on, on guidance and regulations. But again, that only made me more thankful and more grateful and ask myself, how do I respond to that gratefulness in a perpetual posture? I'm really honored that so many people, especially in the last couple of months, when they've talked to me about what I do in fandom, thanked me for how much I give to fandom, how many events I'm involved in, or how many, you know, servers I cheer people on in or whatever. And a huge part for me of being involved in fandom the way that I am is that response to things like understanding what Thanksgiving really means. I can't have you all around my table and feed you like I'd really want to, because that's what I—that's what I'd love to do. But I can write fix that make you happy, and I can create events that allow you to create, and I can create these spaces and be part of the creation of other spaces where people are always welcome, and hospitality is valued, and safety and welcome are valued. And so that's kind of how I see it personally. Ferret and um, I and a lot of people on our Discord server had a really fascinating conversation about the difference between thankfulness and appreciation. And to me, appreciation is, is almost the noun and thankfulness is the verb. Like thankfulness is how I operationalize appreciation. It's the, it's the posture that I live in. I've said that a lot. Sorry, that's a word. It's a really weird word to use, except in my vernacular. But it's how I understand myself in relation to the rest of humanity and to the rest of the planet. And it also allows me to both appreciate the growth that I've done, appreciate the ways that I have pushed myself to learn more and be more empathetic and understand circumstances that aren't mine. Um, and also see how far I have to go without any sense of shame. And that's kind of how I all wrap it up. Um, Ferret, have you had any thoughts on like the difference between gratefulness and appreciation past that day that we were talking on Discord? 
Yeah, I well, I'm, I think that the result is that there isn't really necessarily a clear difference. I actually think that for me in my head, thankfulness is something I experience and it can exist without being expressed or being shown to anybody else. But appreciation is an expression of thankfulness. Oh, that's that great. needs, you know, it involves somebody else. That's what makes it appreciation. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily like, you know, that's just my personal feeling. I'm not saying that's any kind of official definition. I don't think, I think the official definitions overlap quite a lot. Um, and depending on your like regional linguistic experience, you know, the words may be identical or they may have slight differences and they may have great differences. But I think for me, that's kind of what it comes down to. And I only thought about the, there being a difference between the two when we were talking about it. But when we talk about, gratitude and thankfulness and appreciation in fandom. It was interesting listening to everybody talk about, um, you know, how they wanted to be appreciated or how they wanted people to express their thankfulness and how they express their thankfulness. And I don't know like anything about love languages except what I've seen <laughs> floating around in the ether, but from my understanding of it, it feels like this is a similar sort of situation where everybody has a different way that they like to express caring for another person and everybody has ways that they prefer to receive that care from other people. And I think when we look at gratitude in fandom and outside of fandom, but I think it's time to sort of narrow it down and talk about fandom, um, is that everybody, you know, there's a, there's a number of things that are think that express thankfulness or, or look like thankfulness to most people, but it's all Venn diagrams and everybody has different preferences. And some people feel that a kudos, for example, is a big sign of appreciation. And some people see it as like the bare minimum of interaction and not even necessarily appreciative at all. And some people interpret certain comments as being very thankful and some you know, again, is a sort of a, just a baseline. Yes, I read it. I've had cases where I interpreted a comment as being very positive and somebody else read the comment as being very negative. So I think that when it comes to thankfulness and moving beyond like what we consider basic etiquette, which is, I think, a whole other conversation we could go into for days and days and, and hopefully we will get a chance to do that. But I think that when it comes to thankfulness, there's there can be this sort of conflict when people's thankfulness languages don't overlap or even are almost in conflict. And it can make people feel unappreciated and it can generate this, this concept that there isn't enough appreciation within fandom or, you know, consumers of content are aren't expressing enough appreciation. And you know, maybe there has been a change in that. And there are a lot of factors that can come into play when we talk about the places where we're getting appreciation or the places where fan works are getting interacted with. But at least for me, I like to go into fandom spaces with kind of the benefit of the doubt that I assume that people are grateful and expressions of gratitude are another layer on top of the general assumption of gratitude. And I realize that it can be very different depending on your perspective of fandom and how many comments and kudos you get. And not everyone has the same perspective or is able to, 
you know, I, I acknowledge that it probably comes, it develops over time, that feeling of an assumption of gratitude. But I also think that an assumption of gratitude is maybe a, a healthy way to engage. If, if you give people the benefit of the doubt, I think you're less likely to be disappointed by people. I don't know how you feel about that flame. No, I think it's interesting. I mean, we were talking a little bit off mic about how when we both acknowledge that we get a higher number of kudos, comments, and engagements than many other fandom creators for any number of reasons, including the fact that we host the pod and therefore people know our names and seek out our fix more and all that kind of stuff. And so I want to acknowledge that the way I think about this might be very, very different from somebody who is not active in the community and who does not have a, a section of readers that I can count on. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely have friends that I know will read. And if they don't leave a comment, they will tell me in a Discord chat or a WhatsApp message that they liked it. Um, I also have really great friends that will tell me if something isn't working, like you. <laughs> um, very blatantly, because blatant is love in my relationship with, with Ferret. Um, but I don't, because of all of those mechanisms that I have in my life, my love languages for fandom are different. So I love that you brought that up because love languages for people who don't know are um, acts of service, words of affirmation, gifts, time, and physical touch. Those are kind of the five ways that humans basically both give and receive love. So if we think about those in fandom, you know, it would be <laughs> like DMs, adding people on, on, in public places, the conversations, like yeah, really receive love that way. Um, comments, you know. reblogs, um, and then like DM conversations, maybe because I think there are people that really kind of receive. Um, that would be like an act, a, a you know, time, like amount of time spent with somebody interacting with them. Yeah, or even like baiting for somebody, even if your feedback is critical, the act of taking your time to beta for someone is an expression of love for that person. Absolutely. And this is what, when we talk about that there are people who are really, really good cheer readers and terrible betas, this is kind of what we're talking about. And I think I'm a really good cheer reader. I'm not maybe as good as a beta. I don't care as much about stuff as long as it's readable. I don't get very nitpicky. And if you are somebody who wants something that would be like ready to go to publishing, I'm not your beta. But if you want to know if I'm going to feel good at the end of the fic, yeah, I'm definitely your, your beta on that level. Right. But like you are really good at alpha and rubber ducking and things like that. And how we kind of talk about our skill sets too, I think are is part of this. So I say all of this because I want to acknowledge, I know Ferret does too, so I'll speak for both of us here. We want to acknowledge that this is messy. And I that's what Ferret was getting at. And that's what I was getting at. But let me just flat out say it that the idea of how we interact with appreciation and fandom not only depends on the way we interact with the community of fandom, because it really is people. That's what listening to everybody on the server and on Tumblr talk about really just drove it home to me again, that fandom is, is people and interaction and, and how we do that with other people. But so it depends on that. It depends on if there's been drama lately and how you're feeling about things, I think. It depends on where you are in your personal life and what you're trying to get out of fandom at that time. And so it can be very cyclical and very messy. But 
like we talked about in episode three, I think, right? Where essentially you have to kind of not draw your entire self-worth from fandom. Yeah. Because that way lies madness, literally, and not just literarily. This kind of dovetails into that a little bit for me too. Like what was that AO3 comment of the day thing that you sent me where they were saying like, you have to decide what kind of words you want. Yeah, that was interesting. It was in response to a question from someone who was saying they were finding it difficult to appreciate comments that were very short. Someone just saying, oh, I loved it, or this was great. They were struggling to find the sort of, I guess, depth of thankfulness in that that they were hoping to receive. And they felt bad that they didn't love those comments as much as they love longer comments. And I can link to the thread because I think it's an interesting one to dive into. I'll put that in the show notes. But AO3 comment of the day replied, and they, they give a lengthy, interesting um, response that was basically, you know, you have to figure out what it is that's missing from your comment section and maybe you need to get it somewhere else. Um, but the, something that I thought was interesting was they said, you say, I gave you 5K plus words and you gave me one or two. Clearly you want more words, but what kind? Getting more words won't make you any happier if they aren't the type of words you want. And I think that hits beyond just, you know, we all like long comments into this question of what kind of feedback truly hits that button in us that makes us feel appreciated and makes us feel that the person was the other person, this mysterious other stranger on some other side of the internet somewhere was thankful for the time and energy that we put into creating something. And a flip side of that is as a, as a consumer having to say, what, how do I best show this other stranger on the other side of the internet that I appreciate and I'm thankful for what they created? And, you know, considering the vast depth and breadth and complicatedness of humans and how they interact and cultural differences and language differences, it's kind of a miracle that we connect on that as often as we do. <laughs> yeah. And I think what, one of the things I found interesting in this is people saying, for instance, that comments from strangers actually make them more nervous because they can't figure out why a stranger would say something nice about them. But comments from their friends are a lot more helpful. Yeah, I think that really drives back to the um, valuation within feedback, this kind of assumption that, you know, it's, it's, it's an assumption that your work is, is bad, unless proven otherwise by somebody that you deeply trust. A stranger can't convince you that you're better than you think you are. Um, and that touches on a whole other category of <laughs> engagement with your own work. <laughs> yeah. And that's messy. And like, all of this is messy, but if we think about how we can express things, there are definitely tips and tricks. Like there are folks that have put emoji keys in their author notes to kind of just say, if you use this emoji, I know what you mean. Um, I know I've put a thing in my author's notes. It's like, I would just really love to know if you liked it or not. Like, that's it. Um, cause there is a perception in some people that comments bother, um, authors. And I will say, I have not come across that in conversations with authors that comments bother us, yep. but I still, there's times, especially if I'm commenting on a big name fan, like I read a lot of Tiss and Dragons stuff for Winter Iron. They're my favorite Winter Iron authors. And there's times where I'm like, oh, they wrote this in 2016. Do they really want to hear that I liked it? And I'm like, yes, of course they do. Because they're human beings who want to know that something they wrote in 2016 made me happy. Yeah. But I have this moment where I'm like, oh, I don't want to bother them. And I'm like, don't flame. We're all human beings. So this gets into, too, I wonder if because 
this, the beautiful thing about fandom is that it's anonymous to the extent that we create our own online personas. But the kind of downside to this is too, is that do we all, do we assume that everybody else has their, their shit together more than we do? Yeah. And I think we also assume that anyone who has something that, who has produced something that we consider, you know, by whatever standard, we either think it's super well-written or we see it has a lot of kudos or a lot of hits or it's been sitting around for a long time. Everyone seems to like it. It's on every rec list or just, you know, there was a turn of phrase that made you go, oh my gosh, that was so beautiful. That's enough to make us say, oh, wow, you know, they must be better than me in some way. Yeah. And then we transfer it to a quantifiable like character thing. I mean, we all do it. I remember, and I've said this and uh, Kukuria called me out on this all the time. Like you you were one of my, and still are, one of my favorite Stony authors. And so when you knew who I was, that was a big deal. And I was like, oh my God, she wants to do a podcast with me. She doesn't know who I am. <laughs> and I had to like sit there and think like, why am I so like impressed is the wrong word, but why do I assume that she wouldn't want to do one with me? Why is my posture that I'm less than because I've been around fandom long, shorter, or because I'm not really well known. And we transfer this to everybody, I think, as a, if somebody is, is better at maybe one thing in one moment than us, it's very easy for us to assume they're better at everything. Yeah. And are somehow quantifiably a better person somehow. And it's just not true. Like we are all humans trying to figure it out. And especially in this world where this is a hobby. I, I don't know how, in how many, I need to learn to say this is a hobby in as many languages as possible because it doesn't <laughs> seem to be sinking into people, but we're all just doing this for fun. There's and, a t-shirt idea it just says this is a hobby in 45 different languages. Oh yeah. We're working on merch. <laughs> season two goal. So um but I think that's what's happening. It's totally happening. But I think that this is um, like, this also segues into a conversation we can't dive into right now. Cause again, it's like a whole episode on its own about like classism within fandom and like, oh what is gosh, yeah. and how do we relate to people who we think are, you know, the elite, is that the word? Untouchable. I, know, this, I hate the, t- the term BNF. It sounds way too much like BFG and I'm thinking roll doll, but like we do have to have a conversation <laughs> about what being a, big name fan or a famous fan or a highly kudos fan, what that even means in a fandom space post live journal. Yeah. But circling back, I think that like at the end of the day, the thing to think about here is to sort of address within yourself and then in relationship to the people that you deal with in fandom that this like fandom love language, con- your thankfulness language concept is something that's at play and that there's so many ways that we are all different and there's so many different places that we're all coming from that the expression of thankfulness can be messy or difficult to do sometimes or hard to find a way for even the spoons for or the guts to and the receiving of thankfulness can be easy to misconstrue and it can feel like not enough no matter how much you get and it can feel insincere. And I don't think that there's any need for any of us to make feeling good about ourselves any harder than it already is. And so I think that there's there's room on both sides for people to 
and I know this is rich coming from me, there's the entire pot is laughing their ass off right now, but there's room to get better at receiving gratitude and there's room to get better. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that snort. <laughs> there's room to get better at expressing gratitude, but there's also room to accept that part of the beauty of fandom is that we're all coming from different places. And that means that these expressions of thankfulness are gonna look different. And that's just the nature of a social space where we're all so widely varied. We asked a lot of thematic questions. What fan works and fellow humans you're thankful for and what thankfulness, gratefulness, and appreciation mean to you in general. To us, this entire exercise and all the love you guys have had to give reinforce the idea that fandom is people. It's a community. And with that in mind, we're going to let this segment be your voices, the voices of that community that we are so thankful for. We tried separating out the why you love a work from the list of works you guys provided from the emotions of being in fandom. And to be honest, we completely gave up. Everything is so enmeshed together that instead we've separated them by the ways you got in touch with us. Ferret and I are going to read the Discord and Tumblr and fandom feelings, but to change it up a little bit, we tapped in a friend of the pod for the emails. So first up, Alex Jamison is going to tell us those views from y'all. Hi, this is Rose Rose. And probably the fan works I'm most thankful for are Tisfan and 27 Dragons, Sandbridge and Communal Kitchen series. Both because they're amazing and because reading the author's notes on those fics led me to Tumblr, which led me to Discord, which led me to my own fandom writing. I've been reading fic for a long time, but I'm not sure I'd have ever started writing without finding my way to Discord which I'm not sure I'd have done without those author's notes. There are many, many, many works I'm thankful for and enjoy, but I think those are the ones that made the biggest difference in my life, so they're the ones I'm going to mention here. Thank you for this opportunity. Rose Rose. Hey, y'all. First off, I want to say thank you for doing this and giving me the opportunity to tell you what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for With Starry Eyes and her Soft College Boys series. Way back in October of 2018, I read her fanfic Autumnal Shenanigans, and I fell in love with the college AU trope. After reading her fic, I opened up Photoshop for the first time, and I drew my very first fan art for her fic. Without reading her fic, I would never have gotten into fan art, and I'm so incredibly grateful that I've gotten to work with her so often over the years. I've collaborated with her on a fic, and I've drawn fan art for quite a few of her fics in the Soft College Boys series. I'm so grateful to have worked with someone as talented as her, and I'm happy that her work inspired me to get into fan art. Thank you again, Flaret. Sending lots of hugs. Kate slash at Starksnack. Hi. I'm not sure how to preface this, so I'm just going to go ahead and get into it. I saw an announcement for this podcast on a Discord server and thought I'd share. Last year, I wasn't doing so well mental health-wise. I was really isolated from everything except my partner, and nothing felt right, and so I just fell into the old habit of reading as escapism. Well, I found this fic on AO3, So Much Trouble by Tell Me No Again, and it's fun and creative and rated E, and I was new to that ship, so there was lots for me to just delve into to get away from my own life. Well, in one chapter, one character asks another if the relationship is emotionally safe, 
and I remember pausing and screenshotting the page. Because I know what safety is, and I know what emotional means, but putting the two together made no sense. It just resonated, and I couldn't get it out of my mind. And it created this sort of whirlwind in my life, this domino effect. I sent the screenshot to my therapist, who very graciously ignored the questionable content, and we talked about it. And I realized that an issue in my life was that I didn't feel emotionally safe anywhere. And I didn't even know what that was, or that it probably should be a priority. I thought it was so exciting, so I told my partner, and that started the process of him unveiling his true and hideous colors. He hated me reading. He hated me talking to people. I really think he just hated me. But that fic made me realize that a happy relationship doesn't have to be a straight one, or a simple one. It doesn't have to be monogamous or all-encompassing. It isn't about one person being swallowed whole by another. It's just about feeling safe enough to be vulnerable with that person. And in one line of dialogue, that fic changed my life. I ended up calling for help and leaving that partner. I went home for a month and then moved, and I've spent this pandemic basically just working through it and figuring out what's safe for me and what isn't. My partner used to tell me how proud he was of me for being able to stand him, and he would marvel at my ability to sit there and deal with screaming and hitting and other forms of abuse. I've been able to be proud of myself for not putting up with that shit anymore and moving into a better frame of mind. So it basically boils down to this for me. As humans, we recognize patterns very well, and we seek them out, One of the things we seek out is a determination between what's safe and what's unsafe. It's just a survival thing. The issue is that we often conflate familiarity with safety. We assume because we know something and we've survived it before that it must be safe, when in fact, all that means is that we're strong enough to withstand how unsafe it is. We confuse what's safe for what's familiar, and it can be really scary and really dangerous in some cases. Getting to safety can be dangerous and scary. But as there is a difference between safe and familiar, there's also a difference between surviving and living. Life shouldn't be a game of hardening the skin to survive one familiar danger to the next. That's not to say that it should always be cushy and within the comfort zone, but it shouldn't be a test of one's pain tolerance every day. Just because you can get through it doesn't mean you have to go through it. So ask, is it safe or is it just familiar? I ended up eventually getting in touch with the author. They're a wonderful human being, and they've helped me immensely with my writing. But I'm grateful for this fic because it got me out of an abusive relationship, helped me identify a red flag to avoid another toxic-ass situation, and it really added a layer to my appreciation for fam work as a whole. It holds a mirror to things, and I definitely needed to see the familiar monster behind me. I don't have some momentous and eloquent parting words other than, thank you. Holy shit so, so, so much. Have a good one, y'all. Stay safe. Gray P. Thanks, Alex. So moving on to the other methods, our Discord server said things like Dark Steve Fix or Space and Sci-Fi were incredibly important to them. Robin named some particular favorites like Thrust Issues, which I agree with, and Mizzy's very famous Worms fic, which the title is Where Are Restless Monsters Sleep? But you'll see it generally referred to as worms on most servers. Simi was grateful for all of the ABO fix, which I will add a cheer to, as well as Soulmate AUs. Spacebound Witch had a bunch to list. The Facility by Wilma, CN, The Prize, and The Vegas fic by Saber. 
Hooker Steve and Camboy Steve by, I don't know, some random person called Ferret. <laughs> the Wonderful Dick Pickfic by Kundi. Power and Paradox by Kinky Pet. They also said Toasted Buns by Copper and Sci-Fi because it introduced me to them and they're both incredible. As Easy As series by Scavenge for Dreams. Cut the Wire by Orbing Arrow. Every single fic by Jen the Sweetie. The Heldverse. Stetsons and School Teachers by Not Even Close to Straight. The server also made mention of Blade's wonderful Rockabye verse. Uh, talked about the Papa Don't Preach series that Ferret and Sap created. And Jay's Ahead by a Century got some shout outs. Overall, the server shared so many works that we honestly lost track. But it's really clear that fan works are an important part of all of our lives, which, duh. Yeah. <laughs> A few people also filled out our anonymous fandom feelings form to tell us the works and things in fandom that they're thankful for. So our first respondent said, even with the drama that inevitably comes with being a part of a fandom, the good is just impossible to ignore. Finding others who enjoy the same ships, the same kinks, and starting off talking about those and ending with talking about real life is amazing. I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. I am thankful for fandom for providing a positive outlet for my feelings at all times. I am thankful that fandom has so many faces I can never feel alone, even when I'm not talking to anyone, whether that's lurking in chat or catching up on someone's Tumblr or scrolling through hell Twitter or catching up on my to be read filled with my favorite author's backlog or plunging into my own writing and screaming about it at my favorite person in this madness and reading her own pretty things. There's always something or someone to cheer me up and I'll always be thankful for that. Signed, an unapologetic multi-shipper. For fan works I'm grateful for, 1796 Broadway by Rainproof and T-Berry Blue, Deep in the Heart of Me by Finely Honed, Hating Steve Rogers by Nanasake, The Judgment Series by Your Faded Glory, I'll Draw This Line and Hope You Take My Side by Sarah Holmes, Tongues and Hands by Blathaen, Not About Superheroes, A Private Little War by Anna Fugazi, and The Mirror's Edge by Just Another Stony Fan. And then they made the laughing noise and said, sorry, that's a lot. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I'm thankful for the Love is for Children series. It talks about emotions in such a healthy way. It's wonderful. There's plenty I'm thankful for in fandom, but if I wrote it all out, I'd end up submitting a book. <laughs> I could write about a fic that's left a lasting impression on me or the incredible authors who created so many tales to explore or even the many artists that brought imagination to life so easily. From crafts to gifts, podfics, podcasts, fan vids, and cosplay, it'll take pages to describe how extraordinary it all is. This little thank you goes for the community. If not for the incredible support and praise given by everyone, I never would have returned to the Marvel fandom after I left it back in 2013. The support of amazing readers and criminally talented authors that reached out not only encouraged me to return, it helped continue my love for the fandom and in turn urged me to keep on writing. I'm giving back what and when I can just as I was given and now continue to give. I'm thankful for Sir Sapling's Pokemon AU art series with Steve and Tony. It's such a charming art style and the stories behind the illustrations seem very rich and well thought out. Seeing new updates make my day. For life-changing fan work, The Iron Magnolia by Just Another Pipe Dream. Not only is this story an amazing alternative universe with magic realism and supernatural beings, but it was the reason I got dragged into Discord and created the Marvel friendships I have today. I wouldn't have bid for Summer in the MTH 2018 auctions, managed to win her, and then fell down the rabbit hole into this beautiful fandom. 
The story is currently a whip with Endgame Stacconi. I recommend it to anyone who enjoys magic-based AUs. All my love to Summer. My all-time favorite Steve and Tony fanfic is I Created from Fantasies Exist Solely for You by Mizzy. I didn't really ship these two at this point in my Marvel experience until this story. Now, I frequently read Steve Tony fics. I've missed out on some amazing stories without this one showing me the light. Ray Marvel fan works I'm thankful for. All the pod fics by Quiet Night. Such a pleasure to be able to listen to favorite Stucky fics like Closed Book, if they haven't learned your name, infinite coffee and protection detail, cascades, 20th century limited, I'll build a house inside of you, out of the deadland, and many more. Her voice is so soothing and the character voices are great. Plus I really love that she tackled a variety of long fix, which gives us so many hours of entertainment and mental distraction as we go about our day. There are so many other great pod that I love to listen to as well, like Cece Rambles, Sally Sparrow 017, What the French Toast, Tipsy Kitty, Mad Nads, and others. And I appreciate all of their hard work in bringing some of my favorite fix to audio. They deserve all the kudos, love, and recognition. We also took to Tumblr and got incredible responses there too. Catalina Hart said, I'm thankful to Cold and Hard and Petrified by Kristen Nuke for having amazing sex favorable ace rep. Also the All the Time in the World series by Not Close to Straight for the same reason. These fics make me feel seen and valued for who I am and I love them. Thank you. We got a DM from Sapphic Futurist that says, hi Ferret, hi Flame. Hi Sapphic. The, <laughs> the fan work I am most thankful for is a Stucky fic, which is ironic for me because Tony is my bicycle, called Hydra Gets Trashed Party by Born Black. I love the recovery process that Bucky goes through as he starts to identify what happened to him while he was the Winter Soldier, particularly the powerful role that Tony plays in his revelations. I love the work Bucky gets to do with his therapist and the lingering message that recovery is an ongoing, messy process. I really feel that Born Black speaks life into the realities of survivors in this story, and I'm grateful for that. Raven Ray Amidala says... Celestial Navigation. It reached me in a terrible time right after Trump was elected and on the one-year death anniversary of someone I loved. Rukas wrote, This Side of the Blue by Not Lucy. It is amazing and inspired so many ideas. Psychotic Cat Panda and Death Blood Orange also both gave us links and we got some other straight links in our fandom feelings and they're going to be in the show notes. Speaking of the show notes, we haven't actually been able to link every fic mentioned in all of these places in the show notes yet, but we are working on it and hopefully we'll get those done soon. And if anyone wants to provide an assist, please let us know. Or if we say they're done and then you find one missing, we also want to make sure we get that added. So let us know that too. We're very limited by the number of paws and flames that we have going on here. <laughs> Only so many. Always looking for assists. For me, New Type Shadow on our Discord server summed up this whole exercise perfectly when she said, I'm thankful for the Marvel fandom community and its servers. People here have given me joy and enthusiasm when I had none and made lockdown easier to live with. I'm also extremely thankful for all the fanfics that make people feel better about their lives, whether the authors know they help someone or not. Here, here, Shadow, we agree. life of an event it feels like it's been a million years it almost has it's been like yeah. six weeks 
Um, so I think we just teased at the very end of the last one that we were getting going on the Steve, Tony, Bucky bingo, and we hadn't really launched. We'd launched the concept, but we hadn't launched, launched, launched. And now we've not only launched, we've gone right through signups and into card gifts, card gifts into giving cards <laughs> into card distribution, card distribution. That sounds much more, uh, I mean, less, less on brand with our thankfulness, uh, theme, but more accurate. So we'll take I mean, it. yeah, we all, we spent a while constructing them. So let's go back to the beginning from one who might have forgotten because it's been 87 years. Um, it's been 84 years. <laughs> um, Steve, Tony, Bucky, Bingo is something that Fair and I kind of conceptualized, but then also really quickly realized that we didn't want to do it by ourselves. So we drafted uh, another mod, Mrs. Mod, Ebear, Moody Bear, Heather on various um, servers that she is on to help not only with the Steve, uh, Tony, Bucky server that is tangentially connected to this bingo, but also with the bingo itself yes. to help with things like prompt generation and card construction. Cause we hand make each card, um, and card distribution and answering questions because one of the fun things about events, and I know we brought this up with stockings, but we'll bring it up again, is that the English language is open to much more interpretation than you ever assume it will be. <laughs> With things like bingo, sometimes it's helpful to have a couple extra mods or folks read your rules so that you get a couple different perspectives. Because there's a lot of us that do a lot of bingos. And so we may not catch things that are confusing to new people, or we may have a really fun idea that we've been thinking about for several bingos. Like Ferret has a great idea for a badge where we combine some stuff in this bingo that really confused other people because it sounds very contrary to the way other bingos work. And having Heather and and I and Ferret kind of all bounce all those things off was really, really helpful. Yeah, so we, uh, the three of us put together the rules in the FAQ and got some stuff set up. I think we were just starting to dive into that when we left off Life of an Event last time. And since then, we fully developed the Tumblr and that's up and running. And we opened and, well, we opened signups. They're not closed because you can continue to sign up. Um, but we sent out our first, first batch of cards and the collection will be opening on December 1st. So people have their cards and they're starting to go. Um, there was a bit of backend stuff to do before we were able to start making the cards. I built a spreadsheet that pulled people had the option for which of our four prompt lists they wanted to draw from. We had generic tropes and prompts. We had dark prompts. We had kink prompts and we had character prompts. People could choose which ones they wanted. I built a sheet that would pick at random from those four lists and basically make um, a card. I do think it had a couple of favorites. There were some prompts I kept seeing come up. Like, I don't know if you, if you have never, if you've never dived into computer science before, you may not know that randomness is actually extremely difficult to generate. And most of the things that are considered random that you do that interact with the computer are as close to random as it's possible to get, or even quite far from truly random, but they're sort of the best we can do. And uh, it's always interesting when you build a randomizer to see if it ends up with like certain bends or certain favorites or if there's a certain way that it goes. Yeah, and the randomizer just... really liked lactation. 
Oh, really? I didn't see that one. There were a couple of others that I saw a lot. It ended up on a lot of people's kink cards. And there was a couple of people that had it at D- like as their DNWs. It would be on mine too. So I understood that. So I was kind of paying attention to it. But yeah, there was a couple Steve's vintage motorcycle showed up on more than I thought it would. Yeah, I got a couple um, of that. I saw Winter Holiday on like almost every card. Winter Holiday was on a lot. Um, so part of that is that it, it randomized all 24 empty squares which meant that it's not like the randomizer double checked if it had already put something in i4 when it filled in 03. Yeah next time I build one I'm gonna make it recognize duplicates. It's actually surprisingly hard to do randomness within spreadsheets. The the functionality for randomness is not particularly good. Maybe we should have used a different technique. But as it is <laughs> think about that because everything you just said is over my head. But- <laughs> So, so um, the three of us hand checked every card as well. There's a couple we've already caught that people let us know that we didn't quite check it enough. Like somebody had both bubble bath and bathing and one of us should have caught that those were basically the same prompt. We had some doubles that we missed. A couple people had doubles on their card, which yeah, the last bingo I signed up for, I had a double on my card too. So I feel comforted that we're not the only ones accidentally making doubles. <laughs> Yeah. And I will say like, even just staring at spreadsheets, like I think we all know that sometimes you just kind of go cross-eyed and you think yeah. you already checked something. So we were grateful. We had about 56 signups when cards started going out and we've already gotten a couple more. So custom cards, which is, you know, where we'll hand work with the randomizer for every single one of your cards is open till the end of January. So we know we're going to be making more cards and we'll be sending them out in batches. And then um, the then we'll make a generic card and maybe a couple in case people want to do several blackouts because that seems to be a popular idea. But then there will be generic cards available until the end of May. Um, so we'll have to go through and kind of make sure there's a generic. The three of us will have to talk about what, what cards like represents the card, yeah. in a way um, and kind of how that how that works. Um, and what else? Oh, people are allowed to change out. That's very common in bingos that you're allowed to change out. For us, we chose three squares because we did want this to be a bit of a challenge. We took away nearly every other requirement and or challenge from this bingo. Yeah. So because there's no mins, because it's really flexible, because we're not checking for badges, we wanted to add a little bit of extra oomph by only letting people change out three. There are other bingos that let you change out quite a bit more, but their rules are stricter. So I understand that. Um, And most people have been really good with that. There's been a couple folks that want to change out more than three. And that's been a conversation among the mods of how to communicate that um, because we don't have a lot of rules. So we do want to ask people to honor the ones that we do. And, um, but we understand frustration with not knowing what to do with a square, but that's also why we set up the channel in the STB enthusiast server so that people can brainstorm. One of my favorite things about a bingo is that, and fandom in general, is that somebody can see, four different people can see one prompt and take it four different ways. Yeah, that's my favorite part of a bingo too. I think, I mean, I'm somebody who already gets a lot of joy out of taking like traditional tropes and seeing if I can twist them so they're a little bit different um, or a little bit uh, off the beaten path maybe. And Bingos just feel like a great opportunity to take a prompt and be like, how can I play this, which is absolutely not what people would expect it to be. But also just getting a square that's like, wow, I like my first impression of that square is that that's not something I'd ever write. But when you sit and think about it or you talk about it with other people, there's often like 70 different directions you can see the same prompt from. And when we were making the prompt list, we were trying to think about um, things that were flexibility, that had flexibility. 
And even as I was going through people's cards, I mean, we had the problem of trying to decide if some of the prompts fell under the categories of people's do not wants. And we erred on the side of caution with that. But it, it was also just in talking amongst the three of us, it was easy to see that we could talk ourselves out of almost every prompt. So yeah. even though somebody had asked to not have something, we may have had, you know, somebody said like they didn't want humiliation and we weren't sure if bootlicking as a prompt was necessarily humiliation. And, you know, we came up with like five or six different ways that we could write bootlicking that weren't, didn't include humiliation or humiliation kink at all, um, or that wasn't even kinky at all. <laughs> and uh, I think that that is what makes bingos fun because it's just you in the card and almost no rules in terms of interpretation. Like for interpretation, we have no rules. You can take no, it no. however you want. Yeah. So I think that, uh, you know, even if, even if you're listening and you've signed up for a bingo and you're looking at your card and going, oh God, I don't know what to do with this. If you take a breath and you take a step back, and especially if you talk to other people and start getting other perspectives, it's kind of amazing how varied the results can be. And honestly, people who like coming up with prompts really love helping with bingo squares. Yeah. So whatever server you're in, if it's ours or another one, or if you're on Twitter or Tumblr, or you have a friend group on WhatsApp, I don't care. People love to come up with prompts. It's part of the creative mind that we all kind of hold. So for instance, in another bingo I'm in, I had a character that I never, ever, ever write. And I was saying like, I don't understand what to do with this. This is what I'm gonna do. It was just in a chat with a friend really casually and they basically wrote my fic for me. <laughs> it was very helpful. Nice because they saw the character in a completely different way than I ever had. Yeah. And that's really, really fun and helpful. Uh, we've been joking a little bit in the mod chat that like the next bingo we run, there's only going to be five cards. <laughs> yeah. And we just, just all want to see what you do with those five cards. <laughs> so, um, just yeah. in different orders, but it's only 25 prompts. You're all welcome. So, <laughs> I also love that there is an inherent people, people don't seem to suffer from the two cake principle as much with bingo prompts because they understand that other people are going to get the same squares and that that means they may produce something that's the same but I've never seen someone in a bingo be like oh well someone else made something for that square and I was going to do something similar so I guess I won't I think it kind of helps us like push through the two cakes thing because it's almost the point of the game because you got to deal with what you're given so you're within what that is and you can take it the same way as someone else you can take it in a completely different way and and that's the freedom yeah, because even though there are a lot of people who see fandom as inherently competitive because we are competitive people and we want to do the best and have like the most popular fic in that trope or whatever. And that's just an innate thing in a lot of people. Bingo is the only true competition is against yourself and your card. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if Farrah wrote the exact same square, her square doesn't, her fic doesn't count my square. And so I got to come up with something for that square or I'm going to get my badge because our badges are going to be adorable. Yeah. Speaking of badges, we had far too much fun picking badges mm -hmm. for this event. So I'm a huge fan of creative badges. Yeah, Personally, I think every event I've run has silly badges. I feel like um, there have been like like uh, peaks and wanes of silly badges in over the years, you know, they like it like, oh, okay. comes through trends. You'll see like it'll float around for a little while back in the LJ days people had but we also had awards back then which was kind of like badges you didn't ask for <laughs> yeah I, I was part of awards on um different like side archives like individual archives there was a West Wing archive I was a part of that was a big on awards 
Yeah, it was a thing for a while. I was part of a Doctor Who fandom group that was big on the silly badges and that was always fun. I love silly badges. We did them with Marvel Happily Ever After. I'm running, I'm doing them in my Marvel um, holiday prompts event and we're doing them in this because I just think that pushing yourself a little bit farther than just bingo blackout four corners is fun in a bingo. So oh, Steve got- Tony Games had some good silly badges. Oh, Steve Tony Games had amazing badges. Yeah. And prompts. And yeah, they were great. And I know that they're going to, if they run them next year, there's, there's going to be even more variety and I can't wait. So I do want to talk about one of the, maybe we can kind of explore a badge each episode. Um, sure. But I want to talk about one that I think is pretty different from what I've seen before in bingos. And that was kind of expressly why we did it. Um, but we're calling it one fill, one bingo. And the idea is, for the first time in bingo history, you are allowed to combine your prompts into one fill as long as you combine five prompts and they're in a row. So it's likely to cover your free square and you can just come up with something that represents your free square. I always, for my free square, I always come up with what I think sounds like a bingo prompt to represent that free square. So you just have a concept of what you want it to be, but it has to be five squares in a row. So they form a bingo shape and you combine them all into one fill. And so that means either one chapter or one work and um, you get to claim that as a bingo and you get a special badge for having done it. And in the history of bingos, combining squares has always been a big no-no because the idea was to get people to create more. But I love the idea of a challenge that says, can you fit all of these things into one story without it being too shoehorned? And I got to say, people are really excited for that one. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, I never really even thought of it until the Steve Tony's because that was a huge part of earning points in that particular event was shoehorning as much in as possible. Yeah. Um, but you still couldn't combine squares that, on the card. <laughs> still couldn't combine squares on the card. No, 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 no. But it made me wonder about that with bingos. And so when you suggested that, I was like, yes, we must try this. Um, so I'm quite excited to see what folks come up with. I'm excited to create a couple of my own. I haven't really even thought about my own card. I've been so excited about everybody else's cards. Yeah, um, I've, I've written one quick thicklet that was actually inspired by another bingo card, but I managed to find a crossover. But other than that, I haven't like strategized for badges or anything. But we got some no, people in chat who like, they got their spreadsheet, they got their plan. They're going to get all of the, they're going to get fill like three cards and get all of the uh, badges. And I'm, I'm really excited to see who can get all the badges. But also we have a, we have a badge for requesting a card and doing nothing. Yeah. I, I it's the first event I have participated in, in my memory where you get a badge for asking to join and then not joining. <laughs> yeah. We want this to be joy filling only. Sometimes it can kind of be a bummer when you sign up for a bingo and you get a card and then it ends up not working out. So you still get, you still, get it. Get, you still tried. And as long as you were excited about your card when you signed up for it, you qualify for the badge. So everybody gets something. Everybody gets something. And we're going to be asking a couple different artists actually to be creating the badges at different times for a couple reasons, a little behind inside baseball here. One is that we did want to do a lot more badges than we felt comfortable asking someone to create with workloads and things like that. But also we wanted badges that represent the vastness of Steve, Tony, Bucky fandom between the four ships that are on this fandom um, on this bingo there we probably occupy one of the larger pieces of the marvel fandom pie and we want to be able to 
feature as many creators as we can in every event that we do. I hope that you've picked up on that. Anything that Ferret and I are involved in is going to be as communal as humanly possible. <laughs> So get excited. Um, just because you got a badge from one creator doesn't mean you're going to get a, a badge that looks exactly the same from another one. So we're really excited to feature a lot of different creativity. If you're listening and you're an artist and you're either involved with the event or you're excited about it or you think it's cool or you've looked at our badge list and you have a brilliant idea for one of the badges, please, please get in touch because we are sort of in the process of acquiring people for that. And uh, if someone's excited about it, all the better. We want to showcase people who are excited about it. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't want me to draw stick figures for everything. So well, we're going to make her draw stick figures for something at least. <laughs> oh, definitely. definitely. Don't worry. Uh, it might be the you tried badge because that's <laughs> try in terms of uh, art. But we are obviously, I hope you can hear us, incredibly excited about this. There were some hiccups like there always are. There's always communication breakdowns. But overall, I'd say the launch of this event went really smoothly. Yeah. And no major technical meltdowns either. We uh, Ferret had to teach both Heather and I GIMP, the software program, to be able to create the badges and that went really smoothly. Yeah, you guys nailed it. We uh, picked it up pretty quickly, which I was glad. It's a for. steep learning curve. So they deserve a lot of uh, congratulations for picking that up really fast. Very much. I will take my gold stars in the form of glory hole fix. Absolutely. Um, and we're just, yeah, once December 1st hits, we're going to be like kids in candy stores when we oh, open up that collection. Um, and remember, if you write something you don't want to put on AO3, we get it. There's some stuff that we write that we don't want to put on AO3 either. So you can throw it up on Tumblr. And as long as you act the event, which is STB hyphen bingo, we will reblog it. That but goes for things you do post on AO3 too. If you reblog the feed post or make a post of your own, add us, we're going to reblog it. Absolutely. We want to share these works as much as we can, but we're not going to be doing master posts of really any kind for any number of reasons that you are welcome to send us an ask about <laughs> or right into the, right into the um, pod. And we'll talk about that in another uh, life of an event. So you've got to keep track of your own stuff for your badges, but the best way to get promoted by us on Tumblr, or we don't have a Twitter for this event. Um, but obviously if you at me or ferret um, me specifically, cause ferret's never on Twitter, but if you at me on Twitter, I will be happy to take a read and give it a, give it a re a retweet if it's part of the bingo. So um, it'll all, we're all going to work at, uh, work on promotion as much as we can, but there are three, we humans running this mm -hmm. and we want to fill our own bingo cards. So okay. we'll be focusing on that as well. And a great, another great place to promote your work is to join our discord server. And if you drop a link, people are going to be so excited to read it. I promise. So that's also a great place to pimp. Yeah, right now we don't have a separate channel for Bingo Works in particular, but come December we might. We need to talk that over as a mod team. But I promise our server loves everything Steve, Tony, Bucky. Mm -hmm. um, it's in the name. So. so next time we talk, it'll be early December. We'll have opened the collection and it'll have been open for a couple of days. I'm sure some people will have made stuff already over these couple of weeks that we're asking them to wait. So there will be a little bit at the beginning and we'll talk about opening the collection, if we've had any more questions and uh, if we're getting more interest going forward and uh, anything else that comes up. So we'll see you then. I'm only more love, back with your events forecast. Today, I'll be sharing some info about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you.
Here's the usual note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast, linked and explained, in the show notes of each episode over on podonthesuit.com. With that out of the way, let's move on to the fun stuff. The What to Finish charity auction has had its preview week and is now ready to launch auction week. That will go on from today, November 22nd, to November 28th. Take the chance to do some good while bumping your favorite works in progress up an author's priority list or claim a brand new prompt by someone who looks like they share your interests. Coloring for a Marvelous Cause You can claim a spot to create an activity or a coloring page or other fan works explained in the rules linked starting November 21st. Feeling kinky? Today is your last chance to sign up to submit a work to the MCU Kink Bang. The Kink Bang is a mixed bang, meaning it allows for submissions of both fic and art, and therefore claims of both later down the line. Minimum for fic is 5k. More info linked up. Maybe you're feeling more of a holiday spirit this time of year? If so, the Marvel Holiday Fest, a prompt fest based on holiday movie plots accepting of all ships and without minimum requirements, is open for fills until January 31st. Have fun prepping those holiday fix. Ever thought it would be fun to challenge yourself and stretch your skills by arting while you usually write, or by writing when you're more comfortable drawing or painting? The Go Bang Yourself Bang provides an occasion to do just that. Sign-ups are open until December 31st, and by that time, you should be prepared to create art or fic for an already existing fic or art piece of yours. Exciting! Alongside its yearly holiday exchange, the Cap IM community is once again hosting its Cap IM holiday community prompts, open for fills until December 27th. No minimums. Let's give the community lots and lots of presents, friends. The STB, or Steve, Tony, Bucky Bingo, is still open for personalized card signups until January 31st, after which generic cards will still be available from February 1st to May 31st. The round itself will be open for fills from December 1st to June 30th. All combinations of Steve, Bucky, and Tony are allowed, so have fun playing with no less than four ships. The Steggy, or Steve and Peggy, Secret Santa, is open for signups until November 27th. Don't miss out! The Winter Iron Week is back with new mods. Go check out the page and get ready to create amazing fan works for the prompts to post from December 14th to December 20th. Another stocking event has arrived, and this time it's the Winter Iron Winter Stockings. Sign-ups still run until November 30th, and fills will be open until January 31st, with the works being revealed on February 1st. The Winter Iron Reverse Bang is back, and artist sign-ups close December 10th, so don't miss out. Submissions are open until January 3rd, with claims happening on January 9th, and posting scheduled to start 
by March 1st. A Brucemas week will be happening from December 14th to December 21st, so if you ship either or both of our boys with Dr. Banner, have fun! And another holiday event, a very Darcy Advent Bingo, will be running for the entirety of December. So likewise, if you ship Steve Darcy or Tony Darcy or a poly variation of these three, go for it. Well, friends, that brings us to the end of your events forecast. Thank you so much for lending us your ears. We hope you'll join us again next episode. Till then, please stay safe, be well, and happy shipping. And that's a wrap on episode 18. Thank you to Acts of Tekla, Alex Jameson, Athla Tiger, Only More Love, and everyone who wrote in for making this episode what it was. We are glad to be back from hiatus, and we hope you're glad to see us. We're back to our every other week schedule, so we will see you on December 6th for episode 19. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us. 